Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Tonight's episode is going to be the martini. Uh, the first martini we made is going to be the uh, Gibson martini. You need two and a half ounces of gin. We went with a Bombay Gordon's dry gin, a beautiful sapphire color. Uh, half an ounce of dry vermouth and ice in a shaker glass. Uh, we shook it precisely 20 times. Drea kept count, even if I was trying to tell her things. Uh, and then we threw in a pickled pearl onion which I have yet to consume. But I did. <laughs> and I am not a fan. <laughs> so that's where you landed. Yeah, yeah. It was an emotional roller coaster so, watching you eat that. I put it in my mouth and I was like, no, 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 no. I've made a horrible mistake. Get it out. And I was like, well, it's in your mouth now. You have to keep going. So I crunched into it. I was like, oh, this is somewhat delightful. Like a little <laughs> onion-y. It's like cutting through the gin taste. Yeah. And then it just got worse from there. Okay. And then my face just went sour. Mm-hmm. And so for my second martini, I use our stuffed green olives with like blue cheese. So good. Which I'm, the blue cheese I'm excited about. Mm, yeah. And you don't have to make it dirty. I made it a little dirty. I put a little bit more olive uh, juice in there. I don't think I'll do that the next time around. I sensed a little regret. Yeah. Because I really like that, that gin flavor. Yeah. With the which vermouth. I don't think of myself as someone who's into gin. I've had gin in my home bar for probably forever. And mm. I just, I'm a good host. So I want to, <laughs> if someone likes gin, I'll have it. But I'm not drinking gin. That's so nice of you. I like whiskeys and bourbons. I, that's what I appreciate. And, uh, I, there's, I, now I've, there's a new little appreciation here. This is, if, I think the handful of times I've gotten a martini in the last little bit, I've always gotten a vodka one. Oh, vodka. Okay. So that's another thing. You can make your martinis with a vodka. Yeah. We definitely went gin. Which, which I read, I went on a little bit of a tangent with martinis. Some people feel like a, a vodka martini doesn't count. And I can't remember what they call it. Yeah. But they're like, don't even call that a martini. I actually looked it up, and so, like, in 1887, Damn. Um, this little uh, little pan, what is it, gold fisher? What is that? Gold pan? Gold pan. You know, like the gold rush. Yeah. You yeah, yeah. Go gold panning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of those guys came into a bar and was like, hey, <clears throat> I'll give you a gold nugget if you make me kind of like a, kind of like a, a dry, like, refreshing kind of drink. And uh, this guy was like, okay, I got you. And came up with the martini. And he logs it down in his little, like, mixology little handbook. And where was where was that? This is going to be in San Francisco in 1887. And I'm just for a little hometown throwout. Yeah. Why is it called martini? You told me the other day. Did I? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, oh, so- Martinez! Hey! <laughs> uh, I've had two martinis. Yeah. I, I grew up in the Bay Area, mm. so I'm very familiar with Martinez. Yes. And Martinez likes to claim, their claim to fame is the home of the martini. Yeah. And I always kind of felt like, nice try, Martinez. 
But then I remember you telling me the story about the origin of the martini. Yeah. It was like, the guy was headed to Martinez, or he was from there? I think he was from there. Yeah. Gold nugget in hand. It's, I think, not, it's not far from Yeah, yeah. I think some well. people would argue it started in New York. You know, like, oh, no. New York likes to claim credit for everything. Maybe or it was Chicago. Chi- maybe it was Chicago, because it was like the, the hub of the Prohibition. Yeah. 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 One of those. It was New York, Chicago, or San Francisco. San Francisco's cool, and Charles yeah. Barkley shits on it all the time. <laughs> and he needs to get over it. It's a cool city. It's a cool... It's dirty. Calm down. I mean, it smells like piss constantly. Yes. But what I will say is that when I went and visited Chicago, I went, ooh, it's like a clean San Francisco. Mm. I really... I, I don't like big cities, but I appreciated and liked Chicago. And I remember when I went to Seattle... I was walking down the street with the guy I was dating at the time, and I remember we commented to each other that Seattle had the most aggressive homeless we had ever encountered. Aggressive. We were used to San Francisco homeless where they ask you for money and you either give them some or you say, oh, I'm so, like you pat your pockets. You go, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash or whatever. And they go, have a blessed day. And like, there's, it's kind of a pleasant interaction. And yes, maybe you have to have that multiple times, but Seattle, they'll go, fuck you, bullshit. I know you got money and they'll follow you down the street. Oh, shit. To be like, do you and have like, a, do you like, have a I don't have cash. I'm, I don't have any cash. Do you have a square? What? You know the square. You know the square. So like, like the food trucks around here, they have like the iPad. Oh, and the square. Oh, oh, oh. Do you have a square to swipe? I'm not swiping my card. <laughs> Can you imagine like a homeless guy? I like had. Having- <laughs> I went. So um, my friend was dating this girl who did hair, and she lived in Vallejo. And I went out, and it was the first time I'd ever colored my hair. Yeah. And it was in a kitchen. In, I mean, it was like, oh, shit. it was awesome. <laughs> it was a fun experience. But, but I had to meet her at this, at, I had to meet her in this other part of Vallejo first. She was going to get, because my other friend was going to get braids put in. Oh, no. Yeah. My friend, my <laughs> other friend, my friend, Drea, was getting braids put in. So they just, like, stopped to get braids, and then we were going to go back and, like, get our hair done in this kitchen in Vallejo. And I stopped to get, I stopped to get gas on the way, and... Uh, I'm outside my car pumping my gas and my friend Andrea is like inside in the passenger seat and this guy comes running across the straight up highway. No. And he approaches me while I'm like stuck pumping gas and he goes, oh my God, I forgot about this story. He's like, hey, 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 uh, can you, I, I just can do like, can you give me something? Like, do you have anything like, like just asking me for money? And I go, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, Unfortunately, no. All, all I have is, you know, I, I'm pumping gas. Obviously, I have money. Yeah. And I go, I'm. All I have is my card. He goes, You can help me out with your card. <laughs> and I was so thrown by that response, and yeah. I go, No, I can't. <laughs> I'm just gonna like look at him, silly boy. And then he goes, He goes, No, no, no. I just, I just got out of jail. I'm trying to get back down to Oakland. He goes, I'm. I want to get out of Solano County. And I was like, I, pre- I can appreciate that, but I can't, I can't help you. Yeah. And then he goes, Do you want some chicken? what and i go no and meanwhile my friend andrea is leaving me high and dry she's sitting in the passenger seat just left like like <laughs> hiding her face and like chuckling to herself and, and i go what and then he like pulls this little no. like no. he has like tender ch- chicken tenders in his pocket <laughs> and i go no thank you i'm all good and then uh then he goes I, yeah, he goes, I got blood on my pants. I'm just, he goes, I'm just trying to get back to Oakland. I don't, I want to get out of Solano County. And I was like, I, I'm with you, man. I just like, I can't help you. And then all of a sudden, Andrea woo, wiggles $2 bills out of the window oh, that shit. she has cracked like two yeah. inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I grab the $2 and I hand him the $2 yeah, yeah, and I go, here you go, man. And he goes, $2. 
goes, what am I supposed to do with $2? Are you shitting me? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, I, that's all I got, man. And yeah. he's like, whatever. And walks, oh, starts to walk away, turns around, he goes, do you smoke? <laughs> and I go, I don't smoke anything. Yeah. And he goes, all right. And walks off. Wait, did he take the $2? Yeah. Okay. What? $2. Did you call the cops? What am I supposed to do with $2? No, I just left. Obviously, he escaped from somewhere. No. Yeah. No, he was just released from jail. He had gotten in a fight. Released. He got blood on his pants. <laughs> they kept him overnight. They yeah. released him on bail. And now he's trying to get back home to Oakland. All of it seemed legit. <laughs> the timeline adds up. <laughs> it adds up. Fuck. He stopped. He got hungry. He went and got some chicken. That was the last of his cash. Now he needs to buy a bus fare back to Oakland. I'm just imagining, like, Napoleon Dynamite offering you tater tots from his pocket. <laughs> 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 damn i've never heard that story i got a million stories i love it yeah damn martini martini <laughs> that's how yeah, we got yeah. there yeah um just to let you know um i am drea oh and i'm jackie and that's jackie yeah. and this is our casual podcast <laughs> casual casual main word so this is the part where we will warn you uh we talk about pretty graphic stuff. Mm. Uh, it comes across as incredibly lighthearted because, as the whole theme of this podcast, we're, we're drinking while we're telling you these murder stories. We obviously mean no offense. Uh, if you are f- the faint of heart, this is not the podcast for you. You've had a great time so far. Maybe rewind to the end or fast forward <laughs> to the end <laughs> and get our jokes then but yeah this is definitely true crime you're going to get some gruesome details yeah babies die not my story not this episode oh, okay. but sometimes yeah, babies die <laughs> if you're not okay with babies dying or hearing anything about it that's the litmus test if you're not okay with babies dying period don't listen to this podcast <laughs> don't listen to this yeah i'll also say no one's okay with babies dying <laughs> We don't condone it. No. Uh, but they come up in stories. Yeah, they come up in stories. Yeah. Okay, Drea, when we were off the air, we went off on this long tangent, and you started to tell me about Santa Cruz murders, mm-hmm. and I told you to stop because I wanted to hear about it in the podcast. Yes. Tell me about these Santa Cruz murders. All right. So Santa Cruz is this like beautiful seaside town in California and you go surfing there, you know, you just beach bumming it up. It's very foggy, but it burns off and it's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. So back in the seventies, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about seventies. The seventies are the most dangerous time to be alive. You could just fucking, if you were a serial killer, it was the time of your prime. It was your time of the prime. <laughs> That's when you should have been a serial killer because, like, uh, they didn't have the forensic yet. People were not on, like, high alert for serial and, killers. And, like, sheriff departments didn't talk to police departments, mm. didn't talk to the FBI. Didn't, no one. There was no sharing of information. No one talked. Kids were able to go out and play until, like, the lights came on. on I the, still like, believe in that, posts. but yeah. I get it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Santa Cruz actually had two active serial killers at the same time in the 70s. You have Ed Kemper, who is a co-ed killer, and you also have Herbert Mullen, who actually was, like, very well educated, went to college. He believed uh, after kind of a psychotic episode, his best friend died. Okay. And he kind of went through the psychotic episode and um, that became permanent, and he believed that to 
make California survive through like the next big earthquake, he had to kill people. Oh. Yeah. So he thought he was doing everyone like a yeah, service. Yeah. He's, he's like straight I'm helping everyone. Um but the funny thing is like Ed Kemper and um uh Mullen, they like kind of had the same stomping ground, so they'd be dumping bodies kind of no in the way. same area. And they actually, so Ed Kemper was arrested, and then uh, Herbert Mullen was arrested, and they actually kind of sell, uh, shared, a, like, not what? a conjoined cell, but, like, right next to each other. And, yeah, and they were kind of right next to each other, and Ed Kemper was like, you stole my, like, where I would dump bodies. Like, what the fuck? Y- you made that area hot. Yeah. 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 Whoa. Yeah. So Ed Kemper, if anyone has watched, and I told Trey to watch this. I watched it. The Netflix uh, series show, mm-hmm. Mindhunter, mm. Ed Kemper is featured prominently, I would say, yeah. in that show. And I think the guy, the actor who plays Ed Kemper did an amazing job. Captured him very well. Yeah, he's like a six there's foot vi- There's nine? video of him with, in these interviews. Like, yeah. 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 Oh Creep-tastic. my God. It's cre- he's this huge huge dude yeah and he's just very like melancholy with the with the police officers yeah he and he's just like oh buddy buddy with them but then he just tells them about his murder so what he did his last murder he like killed killed his mom uh actually tore out her vocal cords and like put them into the what do you, the kitchen sink uh, uh garbage disposal. yeah garbage disposal because <laughs> uh, she was always talking shit to him and so he defiles her body and fucking yeah. gets out of town and is like Scott free um got away with it but he's like not hearing him his name on the radio and he's like well what the fuck guys hello what about me so he calls himself in he has these cops come drive a couple states over to pick him up Whoa. and they drive him all the way back and the whole time he's in the car with them he's just telling him every single detail to all of his murders Ew. yeah i didn't know that yeah imagine being that like depending I, ugh. Yeah. Who are those cops that had well, to drive that guy? The cops were actually like, at first they're like, okay, cool, this is great detail. But yeah. after the like fifth well, or whatever hour, yeah, yeah, he's like, I, I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Ed Kemper and yeah, I, I think I, I think the thing, we get to like dip our toe in and duck back out when we feel like it. Like mm. you, you're as into true crime as you want to as a casual listener, viewer, whatever it is. When that's your livelihood and that's your job, mm. how, like, the weight of that is so nuts. Yeah. And I think, at least for me, you can still be like, oh, that's make-believe. That's this. You can Even though you know it's not. Yeah. yeah. Put it in a box. Put it on your shelf. Forget about it. But, you know, day in and day out, these men and women who are in yeah. this field, they have to... It's super commendable it. that yeah. they do it. Yeah. I feel like they give up a true... Not a true life, but like that. There's a quote, there's, quote, normal yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank you for that. That's amazing. Very much so. All, All right. right. So, Drea, you will go first for stories? Yeah, I'll kick it off. Um, I was drinking a martini and I put a couple olive stuff with blue cheese in there, and that yeah. was delightful. I'm going to say I like that a lot better than the onion. Maybe I don't make it dirty the next time because I put a little olive juice I in there. I saw you do that. Yeah. I thought, bold move, Cotton. We'll see if it pays off. <laughs> it was very salty. <laughs> I did not like it. Um, so with our theme, martinis, I decided to do Velma West. Yes, and I'm excited. It, yes. She is uh, the typical flapper girl that you would imagine during like the 1920s, Prohibition. Yeah. Right. And also kind of like win the martini. And her name is Velma. Velma. 
I the only Velma I know, Scooby Doo. Scoop. Oh my gosh, she would totally drink martinis. She would. <laughs> she <laughs> she would would. Um. So Velma West was born in East Cleveland, 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 <laughs> Cleveland. <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> um. By age nineteen, she's working at this place. Um, they gave me the name and I, I looked it up and they wouldn't tell me what it was. So I just decided to call it the place. Okay. Um, I'm going to oh, Like pick, food? Retail? I'm going to, I'm going to say retail. All right. I think it's she's, retail. she's 19. Thelma works in retail. Yeah. She's, um, she, so her persona at this time and kind of going into the future is kind of childish. She's okay. spoiled. She's prone to extreme mood swings. So she's a 19 year old. Yeah. 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 So she's working at this place for like a year. And she gets fired. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's her first job, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but while she was there, she would take lunches at this nearby restaurant. And um, I guess she kind of started talking to the owner, or the owner kind of started t- taking a liking to her. Okay. Because they became engaged. Oh. Um, the owner's 56 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes As sense. As they do. She's 19. Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, so Velma goes to a picnic with some friends, and she meets this guy, Thomas West. And Thomas West comes from this um, kind of high up there family. His dad is in the shrubbery business. Okay. Yeah, like shrubs. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Not landscaping. No, no, like, um, well, maybe, but, but like. <laughs> <laughs> but it's better to call it the shrubbery business. He's got shrubs on deck. And so he's kind of like <laughs> nationally <He's> known. <laughs> shrubs on deck. Okay. He's nationally known for like coming in and, you know, making the shrubs look nice. Yeah, he shrubs it up. So it comes from a kind of well-off family, but they're also kind of from the suburbs of Ohio. So they have their roots. So. But he's also not 50. He's also, he's her age. He's yeah. like, he's like. So here's oh, this like sorry. rich kid, her age. She's engaged to this 50 year old dude mm. at a restaurant. Yeah. And then she meets this West character who's got a rich family. All right. Yeah. So obviously she breaks off her engagement with a yeah. 56 year old dude. 56? Even 50, older. Fuck. Um, and so she decides to marry Thomas and like, they have like a big wedding and like the whole family's there and the, the family is so excited to meet her Yeah, and she's a city gal. She has like short hair. She's a, like a flapper girl. She has a quick tongue. She's smoking cigarettes. So she gets married or she gets engaged to Thomas. The family, his family comes down and, um, his dad doesn't really like her. She's not into that old school family. Like, he wants to, like, stay at home and, like, read books and, like, you know, family oriented. Okay. She wants to go out partying and drinking. She's, she's a flapper girl. She's a city yeah. gal. Um, and so, the, but they get married. And so she moves to Perry, Ohio, which is, like, a rural. Like, Thomas is actually more of, like, a farmer. Okay. And he, like, helps his dad in the shrubbery business. Got it. Okay. Um, so now we're looking at, like, 1927 and, you know, Prohibition era. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so all she wants to do, Thelma wants to do is... All she wants to do is have some fun. She just wants to... She is, like, 21 at this point, 20-ish. Yeah. She wants to go to the city. She wants to listen to she music. She just got the right to vote. She j- <laughs> Snap, snap. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she's thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she's starting to get this reputation around town as this kind of, like, city gal um, who's a bad housekeeper. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, so if you look back at their home life, they, um, her and Thomas, they fight a lot and supposedly he kind of 
beats her. I'll bet he beat her. Yeah, he probably beat her. It's the 1920s. Yeah. Yeah. You're my wife. I own you. Where's dinner? Yeah. The toilet's not clean. Dang it. What are you doing all day? What are you doing all She's day? She's probably drinking martinis. <laughs> That's what I would be doing. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Don't have to be at work? What? <laughs> Eight Martini <hours>. lunch. <laughs> yes. Um, um, olives have a lot of nutrients. <laughs> they have good omega-3s <laughs> in them, which is good for your complexion. <laughs> um, so she, her home life's not good. Yeah. So she makes a friend, Mabel Young. Great Ma- name. Mabel. Velma and Mabel. I like it. Isn't that nice? So she's around the same age as Velma, and they're just, they're butt buddies from the beginning. Yeah. You know, they're like thick as thieves um, to the point where... Um, it's kind of rumored they loved each other. Oh. Yeah. They, they really, really liked each other. Um, so like three or four times a week, you see Velma leaving the house to go to the big city to go partying. And, um, Thomas, you know, he's, he's, he's his father's son. What's Mabel? Do we know what Mabel's deal is during the time? Is she married? Is Is she from Cleveland? She's, she's, uh, single. Okay. Um, and she like comes into Ohio. I'm not sure what she's doing there, but she's maybe... she's just kind of peripheral. She's yeah, yeah, just yeah, kind of yeah, off yeah. to the side. She's just kind of, and she orbits in. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So uh, Thomas, he wants to stay at home. He just wants to cuddle with he's his a wife. Homebody, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a not... farm. He's a farm dude. Yeah. When he's not beating her. Um, yeah. And so he wants to like read stories and hang out. And so Velma is invited to uh, what's her Melba Melba. Okay. What's her name? Oh, Mabel. Mabel. <laughs> Melba. Melba Toast. Melba. She goes to Melba Toast's house. So Velma's like, hey, I'm going to go to Mabel's. Mabel's place and play bridge. And like, that's oh, the thing. All this the is ladies. prime bridge time. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then she's like, you should come with me at the big party. And he's like, no, I'm not going to go. And she, and Velma knows what this means. She It means that she can't go. Because oh. it's like his car. That's the only way she gets to go to the city. Got it. And at this point, she's kind of had enough. And so they get in this big fight. Supposedly, you know, Thomas kind of like hits her, pushes her. He's aggressive in he's some a, way. He's aggressive. So Velma has kind of had enough. Yeah. So she goes downstairs. She finds this claw hammer. No. And she comes back up to Thomas and she starts just pummeling him with this hammer about 68 times the hammer part the claw part we the, don't know i'm not quite sure i mean you specified claw hammer which leads me to believe we know about the claw the claw yeah the claw <laughs> so she like puts a pillowcase on his head to kind of like minimize the like blood spray and then she just continues to bash his head at some point this is an aggressive emotional this is she, there's emotion behind this obviously yeah um, so she has a hammer in her hand and then she like looks over and she sees like a broken table leg and for some reason she starts beating him with that. And like She's late, just in a blind rage. She's in a blind rage. She she later said that she was afraid he would wake up and kill her. So she is beating him with a hammer, beats him with the table leg. Um, yeah. And um she covers him with a sheet. She hog ties him oh. and fished his keys out of his pocket and like took his car and like went to uh okay. Mabel's party anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, and then went to that's like mm. the girls that have like have a baby at prom and throw it in the dumpster and oh. go back to dance. Oh my god, that is crazy. <laughs> Those stories yes. are fascinating. The fact that there's more than one yeah. is ins- if I was if I was in the psychology field, maybe that's my maybe that's my like your uh, niche. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like <laughs> Girls having like 
toilet babies and girls having kids and dumping them in dumpsters because there's so much there. Yeah. There's a lot there. The psych- yeah, the psychology. And I'm, like, I'm not like I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. No, there's no. so much there on the mother's part. Yeah, on society's part, it's fascinating. Fascinating. All right, so she kills this dude and then goes she off. She kills her husband. Yeah, she takes the car and she's like, "I got a party to go to. Mabel's having a fucking bridge party, and I'm going." She goes to a bridge. She party. goes to a bridge party, and um, people there reported that she was like singing and dancing, and she was the life of the party. Right after killing, right, and she like she's flying high. She like spends the night, so she gets up, she has breakfast. She is now in Cleveland. Cleveland. She meets her mom. They go Christmas shopping. I'm sorry. It's December in 19-whatever. Wow. Um, and she she's shopping for presents. She even buys her husband handkerchiefs. And she's like... She buys him a gift. He's dead. She knows he's she dead. Knows he's she dead. buys him a gift. Yeah. And she's like, oh. he'll love this. <laughs> yeah. And so when she returns home, the police are already waiting for her. Like, his yeah. brother had come by. The spouse so- is the number one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Either they're A, going to tell you your husband bed or be like i got questions for you yeah yeah so like apparently uh thomas's uh brother had come by the house and found him dead so the police came over like murdered dead murdered dead like she hasn't hidden this body whatsoever no 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 no. he's just there with a pillowcase on his head murdered you see the photo and here's their their marital bed and he's like to the side of it she's put a pillow under his head but like has kind of covered him up and just fucking apparently she left the front or back door open when she left whoa yeah um, so she gets back to the house and the cops are like, so what happened? And she denies yeah. it for three hours. And then finally she's like, all right, I'll tell you what happens. Give me some cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. This is a 1920s gal. Night. She is on fire. Um, so, so now we're into 1928. She pleads guilty to second degree murder. Okay. And to, by doing this, she kind of avoids the electric chair. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I would do that, so, too. So, first degree premeditated. Yep. Second degree. Just in the you moment. You knew you were murdering them. You chose to murder them, but yep. it was in the moment. Yep. And then below second degree is uh, manslaughter? Manslaughter, yeah. I think like it's, it's your fault, but you didn't intend for them to die. Yeah, I think if you get in your car and you're drunk and you hit yeah. someone, manslaughter. Okay. Uh, or, like, any variation yeah, yeah, of that. Yeah. Um, so she is sent to life in prison at Marysville Women's uh, Reformity. Okay. It's not quite a prison. It's a little bit nicer. She, of course, is like a star prisoner. She yeah. gets a degree in uh, stenography? Stenography. Stenography. So stenography, I, I could be wrong. I feel like stenography is uh, almost like a court reporter. Like oh. you're stenography, like you're taking down, you're typing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's. Okay. You're, you're, you're taking down memos. I'm, in, I'm into People it. People say words, you write them on paper <laughs> or type them out, I feel like. Um, so she, like, gets that degree. Um, her warden really likes her to the point where she's getting uh, office duties and she's offered, like, uh, keys for different cells. Uh-oh. Yeah. So, um... I think there's more going on. There's, there's stuff going on. So, 1939, about 10 years later, she's up for parole. Okay. Um, she's denied. Okay. This pisses her off. Oh, she, she thought it was going to happen. Yeah, she thought it was a shoe-in. Um, she's kind of frail at Well, this... you know what? I guess yeah. given what you just told me, yeah. I would think she's a shoe-in too. Oh, because star... She's getting yeah. all these... Like, why are you getting all this special treatment and oh. now you're not right for society? Uh, you know. So you the... murdered someone. I get that. Yeah. 
So the big thing, so I forgot to mention this, this became a nationwide sensation murder. Um, oh, it was in the news. Yeah, people like, knew about it. This was the son of the shrubbery king. Oh, <laughs> and like it was an it was a woman, and she murdered, and it wasn't poison or you know what I mean. Oh, it's like she violently, violently killed violently. him. Okay, yeah, so it became sensationalized. the The court was crazy, um, so that's why they pleaded out so she yeah. could get second degree. So she doesn't get parole. She gets kind of pissy. And, um, so she meets this, a woman, Lenora Leach, who's 26. And I love this part of the story because Lenora is in this, uh, penitentiary because she was smuggling hacksaws to her former husband who was in jail. (laughs) What? Yeah. So I want to say, like, she was trying to help her former husband escape by, like, smuggling in hacksaws. Okay. Yeah. I just, the visuals. How do you smuggle in a hacksaw? I don't know. I'm hoping in in a cake, like a sheet cake. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's no, I don't know how else you would do that. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, so um, Velma has the keys because she's trusted. She helps herself and three other inmates escape. And uh, by the time anybody notices they're missing, they're already in Indiana. So they're gone. Okay. They're gone. So one of uh, her little escapees and her, they hitchhike down to Texas. Okay. And they start living living it up. They're clubbing. Okay. They're dating young men. Um, during the 40 days that they were, like, out and about, yeah. um, she had six different suitors, two of which proposed to her. This is a different time. I feel like proposals <laughs> happen, like, two dates in. Yeah. I mean, I mean, shorter lifespans. You got, yeah, you yeah, gotta, you gotta, you gotta, gotta go. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the roaring 20s. All right. So we got the two suitors. And so her and her buddy, they're headed to dinner. And, you know, they're, they're getting excited. They're dressed up. Um, but two officers recognize their mug, like from, recognize them from their mug shots. Oh. Yeah. So the officers stop them and they're like, shit. We've been had. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, like, a quote from Velma was like, My heart started pounding, and I wish I had left town an hour before, as I'd planned, instead of waiting to get dinner. Oof. Yeah. And so, obviously, they're taken back, and, like, the the warden is just, like, beside herself. She's like, I trusted Velma. She was, like, my best reformed prisoner, and I thought I was going to have her, like, released into society. Oh, and, like, she's disappointed. Disappointed, and, like, herself and Velma. Yeah. And, like, um, the prisoners all had uniforms, and when you were a good um, oh, prisoner, there's a system. you got to wear an honor dress. And so Velma got to wear honor dresses because she was, you know, the star pupil. She's going to get black and white stripes now. Yeah. And actually, when she escaped, she escaped in her honor dress. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when she came back, uh, the warden was like, everyone is in their regular, like, prisoner outfits. Like, screw this. Like, I don't trust. She fucked it up for everybody. Yeah. Um, And so Velma comes back to prison and she dies at the age of 52. Whoa. Yeah. And that's the story Damn, of Velma Gina. West. Damn, Gina. Yeah. The true flapper girl. Yeah. She just wanted to party. You know what? That's what I gathered. Yeah. She wanted to party. She got her fancy prison dress mm-hmm. and she 
That's shaped. She actually was quoted as um, she wrote a really long letter to the warden. And in it, she's like, I hope you can forgive me. I'm like kind of torn. Like, I kind of hope that you guys catch us before we leave because like I don't want to disappoint you. But she's like, I because at this point, her health is deteriorating. Okay. And she's like, I just need one last adventure before I'm too weak. Oof. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. She just wanted one last gin night. Yeah, you know, yeah. don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just realized we've changed up the recipe. Oh, of, of our martini. Yes. Yeah. So we gave the recipe for uh, the Gibson martini, yes. which had an onion, a pearl onion yes. in it, which that was a cute little name for it. That didn't go down well. Yeah, I'm not going to, yeah, not my favorite. Yeah. Um, This next one, I'm going to say classic. I like it. Uh. I don't know why I feel like the term executive goes with the blue cheese. Mm. I might have made that up. Let's go with it. But I we'll think, go with it. Feel, We're going to call it an executive martini. I feel powerful. I feel like I'm making decisions for a high-powered company. Yeah. Yeah. So this one, we went, same recipe. We didn't Google this one. Uh, this is this is our own Killer Cocktails version. Yeah. Uh, which copied the Gibson. We went two and a half ounces of, again, dry Bombay Gordon's Sapphire Gin. Uh, then we added in a half ounce of dry vermouth mm-hmm. and shook it exactly 20 times. Exactly 20 times. I would not talk to you while I was doing it. She would be in the middle of a story, pause. I would watch her lips count the word, uh, count the numbers. <laughs> and then she poured out and finished the story. <laughs> Uh, it had these lovely little ice fleckles in it. Mm. I recommend everyone get a cocktail shaker, put the, like, it's just, that's where it's at. Uh, and then we went, so you've already done one of these, Mm. but this is my first time moving over into the, uh, olive with the blue cheese in it. Yes. Which I'm mildly afraid of. Oh no, it is so good. I, I'm sad that I don't have two in my glass. I only have the one. Why didn't you pierce two? Well, you, you pierced them for me. Oh. Yeah, you did the piercing. My bad. <laughs> but you're, like, you could easily pierce another one and pop it in there. I could. Okay. I could, yeah. Uh, but that was the only change up on the recipe. We just went, you know, essentially gin, a little vermouth, yeah. threw an olive in there. This time I decided not to go dirty. I didn't want any of that olive juice. And how juice. do you feel about that choice? I think I, I love it. Clean living. I like the clean living. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I liked it dirty because I've had it at a restaurant. Maybe they do it a little bit differently. Next yeah. time we go, we'll ask them. Uh, but yeah, so far I like it clean living. Okay, uh, my story, so uh, the theme is martinis, mm. and so I thought, olives. So uh, my story is about the olive family. Ooh, I like how you interpreted that. Yes. Uh, these are also known as the barbecue murders, a.k.a. Oh. BBQ. Oh, no. Murders. Oh, that's never good. No. So... Uh, there's a girl, her name is Marlene Louise Olive. She was born in Virginia in January of 1959 to an unmarried mother and she was adopted out. Mother didn't, mother didn't want her. Um, she was adopted by a middle-aged, uh, family and, uh, they were, I got, got, I had a a bubble up while I was talking. Uh, middle-aged family, Jim Olive was the dad, and we'll get the mom's name in a little bit here, and they moved to Ecuador. Ecuador. Okay. So, born in America, in Virginia, in the U.S., 
Moved down to Ecuador. She's there for her whole adolescence. So she's adopted by the Olive family. Ado- so she's an adopted Olive. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, good. Uh, grows up in Ecuador. I imagine considers herself Ecuadorian. Sure. Because she's straight up a baby when she goes down. I mean, but you still know you're American. Like, yeah, I mean, you yeah. understand, like, I was born here and this is my lineage. Yeah, yeah. But all your friends, you like, your, it's childhood. Like, yeah. everything about your lifestyle is very Ecuadorian. And so she grows up there. She's there till she's, like, an early teen. Oh, wow. She's really close. So her dad has a job in the oil business. Okay. She's super close with her dad. Uh, and she has kind of a weird relationship with her mom because her mom's kind of an alcoholic with, like, mental illness. Okay, so am I to believe the dad is working and the mom isn't? Correct. Okay. But she has good, regular amounts of time with her dad, gets along with him, likes him more than Alki mom. That makes sense. When she's about 14, her dad loses his job in Ecuador and moves the family back to the United States. And they go to Marin County, which is an affluent part of the Northern Bay Area. Culture shock. Yes. Very different from Ecuador. Uh, Jim becomes self-employed. He's working in this small business. He's very busy with his job and he's not around nearly as much as he was in Ecuador. So the, one of the two parents that she's super into is kind of gone. And now she's left with the mom who abuses alcohol and has some, some mental stuff going on. Um, so she's not getting along. Uh, she develops a stomach ulcer. Oh, wow. Like, super, like, yeah, she's stressed. She's stressed, yeah. And it requires prescription pills. Uh, as soon as she begins taking the pills, she also starts taking other drugs and pills recreationally. Oh. And she just kind of starts slipping down this slope. She's hanging out with the wrong crowd. So it all starts with this ulcer. Yeah. But then she just kind of that is off in this, yeah. like, party world. Her mom, who is not the, not the greatest, uh... Is like you're a whore. You're oh. this drug addict. Like the oh. mom is railing on her. Okay. So the relationship kind of becomes strained between her and the mom. So the mom's name is Naomi. Mm-hmm. The dad's name is Jim. So things with Naomi are not going great, and Jim's just kind of not around. So Marlene starts. Uh, she's shoplifting. She gets in trouble for all this other stuff. She meets this dude Chuck. So Charles Chuck Riley. He's born in 1955. Uh, he was the, he's the son of a baker and a nurser's aide. Um, he was, uh, an obese kid. So he was obese mm. most of his life. Mm-hmm. By age 15, he weighs over 300 pounds. Oh, he's, yeah. Okay. So he's a big boy when he meets her. Substantial, yeah. Um, he's, uh, never had a girlfriend. He's a virgin. He's dropped out of high school. Um, he's just a pizza delivery man hanging out with this young girl. So he's older. In theory, should know better, but he's kind of had this, like, I mean, cognitively, you're a little bit younger, yeah. Yes. So, they're dating. He's 19, she's 15. The parents do not approve. They're kind of like, who is this overweight weirdo? I have to ask really quick. Yeah. I don't know know if anybody knows this, but did they both want to adopt a child? Like, who wanted to adopt a child? I I did not come across that in any of my Because it kind of sounds like the mom isn't there. You know, but maybe she was back in the beginning when they're maybe down she in wasn't, yeah, yeah, maybe she wasn't yeah. a drunk in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But all I could find was that, and again, I think a lot of this is based off of Marlene telling this story. Yeah. yeah where she's like, my it. mom's a drunk. So who knows if that's like 
maybe that was true in high school. Maybe that wasn't true in Ecuador. You know, yeah, I don't yeah, really exactly. know. Yeah. Um, so she starts this relationship with this guy. Uh, they're having sex. They're hanging out. They're doing drugs. Um, pretty much it sounds like she's just kind of in a pissy mood. And she's like, my parents don't want us to be together. And uh, my mom's giving me a really hard time. And, and I guess she told a couple friends, uh, ugh, I really want to kill my parents. Will you help me kill my parents? And every time she, like, kind of brings it up, everyone's like, well, that's an insane thing to say. And don't really take her seriously. Yeah. Then she's talking to Chuck, and she's like, my parents, like, we're not allowed to see each other. We should kill my parents. And he's like, yeah, I mean, you're the only girl I've ever slept with, and... I'm in. I'm in. You're my life. You're my life. So... Let's do this. They're in. Yeah. So Chuck at this point, how old is he? So Chuck is, uh, so he was 19 when they're, da- I don't think they dated for super long, so he's probably 19, like max 20 So he's maybe? like on his own, he's not living with his parents. Correct. Okay. So Saturday, June 21st, 1975, she has an argument with her mom, she phones Chuck, and she's like, get your gun, we're killing that bitch today. Oh, damn. So she arranges, she goes out with her dad. She's like, hey, dad, let's get out of the house. Because she doesn't want to kill her dad. She wants the mom. mom. The mom is trouble, not the dad. So she leaves the front door unlocked. She gives Riley instructions. She's like, mom's going to be home. She's going to be by herself. Go kill her. He brings his twenty-two. He later says that he's high on LSD when he goes to do this. Oh, okay. And I've never taken LSD, but I feel like that's probably not something you want to be high on going to commit a murder. No. I feel like you're tripping balls. Yeah. Well, it depends how much you take, but either way, yeah. if you don't take a lot, you're happy as shit and you're not going to do it, or <laughs> you're over here and you're going to think a lamp is her and you're going <laughs> to shoot the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's not, yeah. Seems like it. Yeah. Seems not. And again, he's saying that after the fact. Who knows if he's on LSD. And you can't test for that. So no. it's not like, yeah. It's a weird drug to say that you're on, but. <laughs> uh, so afterwards, uh, Chuck tells police that he had... So he came in, she was supposed to be sleeping. So he says he came in and then he hit the mom many times, in quotation marks, with a hammer. Oh. Which, this is bizarre, he later recanted under hypnosis. <laughs> so Hypnosis is a, we have to talk about that at some point. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, so while he's in the house, he's hit her with a hammer, dad comes home. Okay. Oh. Sees his wife lying in bed, covered in blood. Yeah picks up a knife and he starts going after Riley, which is uh, Chuck. And he goes, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Chuck pulls the gun and shoots the dad. This is Chuck's account? Yes. Okay. So. Dad wasn't supposed to die. Wasn't supposed to be both parents. Are you sure? In theory. Okay. But the dad comes home. Okay. Catches him. He's still there, obviously, so he's just murdered her. Yeah. Or he's high on LSD and he's sitting in the corner. Where's the and daughter and all this? Not mentioned. Okay. So then, so now she's there. So I get maybe she's in the car and she comes in later. Yeah. She comes up with Chuck and she, they dispose of the bodies. They take them oh, to... okay. So they're both dead now. They take them to... and Yeah, because he shot him. Okay. Oh, so he's oh, like, sorry. you're killing my wife. What's yeah, going yeah, on? Yeah. Pulls the twenty two, shoots, shoots the dad. Got it. So then they're like, we got to get rid of these bodies. They take him to a campground over in China Camp. And that's not close. Like, if you know that, like, if they're in North Bay, China Camp is like, you're headed into the Sierra, maybe off of four. Um, it's a trek, but it's close. Like, yeah. I mean, relatively speaking. 
And they start burning the bodies in a barbecue pit. What? At this campground. Okay, wait. So, people are both dead. They get them in the SUV or whatever. Whatever it is. They drive to this campsite, however far away, and then they're like, let's put them in the barbecue pit? Yeah, we're going to burn them. We got to get rid of the evidence. Shit. So they want to burn the bodies and they want to burn, like, any other bloody clothes. So they put them in, uh, in their attempts to make them unrecognizable and they're just going to burn these bodies up. They leave the bodies still on fire. They, they don't wait it out. They it's, leave them. They don't, they're like, you know, they're on fire. We're this good. is not leave no trace. This is not dead out campfire <laughs> status at all. Jesus. They take off. A firefighter, either camping close by or yeah. driving down the road, a dude who is a firefighter comes across this like charred, still kind of on fire body. <gasps> oh my God. Thinks it's a deer. No. Because it's two mangled bodies. It, he can oh. tell it's a body, ah. but he thinks it's a deer. Jesus. So he puts it out and leaves. <gasps> no. Then they come back like the next day or relatively soon. I feel like it's the next day. Yeah. They come back with like more of the stuff. So, uh, oh, they bring a friend. So they get a friend. What? A friend comes with them. They no. clean up. They clean up the place where like in the house, they remove uh, blood from the carpet, uh, the walls. They take furniture. They confide in the friend who helped clean them up. They're like, we had to do it. Uh, we weren't going to be able to date anymore. No. Like, we had to murder them. No. Whose friend? Both of their friends? I, His their friend. friend. friend that, the so friend. then ah. they take like more of this incriminating stuff and they go and they go back to where the bodies are burned and they burn more shit. What? That's insane. So then they're, and they're like hanging out in the house several days. Hanging out in the house. They go to a Yes concert. <laughs> uh, they're going out to restaurants. They're using the parents' cash, checks, credit cards. Holy uh, they're shit. just kind of living it up. Not yeah. really like, like to me, you have to like. They're just like, oh, we like they're gone. The problem is solved, yeah. and now we have all this money, yeah. and we get to live our lives as we want. The consequence part, like it seems to completely escape them. Yes. How old is she at this point? She is now. 16? Yeah, like, okay. she's still... She's still, a teenager. She's still definitely okay. a minor. Yeah. Uh, so then, uh, their plan was to say that they had died, and they're gonna also take the insurance money, and they're gonna move to Ecuador. What? She wants to go back to, like, yeah. that, to her, that's home. Yeah. So after a couple days, like, the dad's boss, like, his business partner, whoever, is he's a little concerned because he's not at work, and he calls the police. They show up. Uh, the story falls apart very quickly. Um, then they start saying, uh, that they were killed by the Hell's Angels. What? They start spinning these crazy web of lies. (laughs) The police are like, um, everywhere in your house is fucking dirty as shit. Yeah. And your parents' bedroom is spick and span. So. Something happened here and someone cleaned up. Oh, shit. Uh, then they find them like eventually like they find out about these bodies at the campground and then like that gets investigated so it, it very quickly kind of like everything falls apart yeah. they're like okay you obviously murdered your parents you involved this guy um she goes to a children's reformatory you know crazy person With asylum Bella. yeah <laughs> um and i feel like uh, so he goes away for a long time. Like he's guilty because he's essentially first murder. Well, he he's an adult. One, he did he's it. He's the one murdering. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she. Let me find it in here. She got out in 1980. What? 
Because she was a minor. Holy balls. If you do shit when you're a minor. You got it. You got it made. When you're an adult. Yeah. How you're do you out come back and you're, into society at that point? Like, especially this day and age when, like, technology is booming. I, well, like, every it's t- got to be a lot more different now. Uh, but she was released in 1980. She moved to Los Angeles where she changed her name a couple times because I think people kept figuring her out. Yeah. Um, she was arrested on forgery charges, drug-related charges. Oh, damn. A couple terms in jail. Um, look at this photo of him. Clean up. And maybe, is this the boyfriend? Yeah, this is okay. the boyfriend. So this is in 1976. So this is like a year after the murders. Okay. He doesn't look like a giant 300-pound dude to me. He just looks like... Oh, he looks like a regular dude. So he like, just looks like a, a 70s guy. bar mustache and like that little... Long-ass sideburns. Ooh, that little so pa- soul patch. Soul patch, yeah. Yeah, he looks like he's in shape. He looks he, like he's doing well. <laughs> I feel like he could get a girl who doesn't want to murder her parents. Yeah, I think <laughs> easily if he like smiled. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a little murdery looking. A little, a little murder, yeah, definitely. Is this the part of the show that we do a little OJ tip? <laughs> we should probably talk about OJ. Okay. So you have started to watch the FX OJ show. Yes. And just to catch everyone up, like Jackie loves OJ and the, the whole case. And I've never really gotten into it. And I don't know why. Maybe because it was so publicized. But I was like, I refuse to look into this case. So we're, our, our age difference is probably four or five years. Okay. Yep. So I feel like I was probably at the youngest you could be where you still have any sort of business hearing about it. And honestly, probably not at all. But I was very aware of what was going on, and I and like it's it's part of opening monologues in nighttime, you know, late night shows, and I mean you just you couldn't escape it. And I remember knowing, I think, in, like, in my opinion at the time, enough about the evidence to be flabbergasted by the how it ended. And then you just kind of I don't know, you all move on, you kind of forget about it. And then, like, every once in a while, you'll get these, like, there's just OJ bubble-ups. Mm-hmm. You'll get, you know, when he got accused of the crimes in Las Vegas, when he had the book, If I Did It. When, like, there's just, every couple of years, you get a new little infusion of OJ, and you're, and you, like, get re-mesmerized by it, and you just go down these, like, Google trails. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. There's just so, there's so much concrete evidence there's so much circumstantial evidence there's so much like just behavioral like why are you being the way you're being yeah the whole thing is just so interesting to me and the fact that you love true crime i feel like it's just it's pandora's box yeah there's so much for you in there to learn about it's been so hard not to binge watch it i mean (laughs) now that it's like summertime i'm not taking summer classes I started watching it, and my boyfriend and I kind of got into this thing where we're like, we, you can't watch it without me. Yeah. And, of course, he's at home right now binging it without me. And he's getting ahead, <laughs> and uh, I'm just getting into it. Like, I feel so bad because when I heard about the OJ case, the only person I thought who was murdered was Nicole. I, I don't know if it's in the in this show or if it was in a different – but I, I, I feel like uh, Ron's dad, like at one point, whether it's – dramatized dramatized or not um has kind of this explosion of emotion where he's just like ron is a footnote in this story my son was murdered and he was just as murdered as nicole like everyone focuses on oj because he's a celebrity and everyone's Mm -hmm. focused on nicole because it was his wife my son is dead yeah and he's not a part of the headlines. And he was a, a great human being. And, like, and he was. And, like, there's, I mean, you can rattle off all the wonderful things that Ron was a part of and did. 
Um, yeah, it, it, it's nuts that he is kind of the, the second fiddle to that story just by lack of fame. Yeah, that's crazy. No, I love that little tidbit. And, like, as I watch it, I, like, want to talk to you more about it. It's so it's, crazy. It's insane. Yeah, it's blowing my mind. When the cops call OJ mm-hmm. and they tell him Nicole is dead. Oh, oh, okay. Is that part real? Like, what he said back so to the cop? So, I could... I. I believe, Mm -hmm. if I am correct, that when they called OJ and told him Nicole is dead, in that conversation with him, he did not... They say Nicole is murdered, or she's been killed, like, in the show. He doesn't ask, in the the call, when the police Mm -hmm. call and tell him, they inform him of her her death, he doesn't ask details. Like, how are the kids? And he doesn't ask how the kids are. Yeah. He knows, like... He shares custody with Nicole. The kids are with Nicole. Yeah. Nicole's dead. The police say Nicole is dead. He does not ask how, how the, the kids, kids are. are. Which is red flag number one. Which, I, I, the only way I can look at that is either you don't give two shits about your kids. Like, they didn't even occur to you. Yeah. Which I don't think is the case. Yeah. I think he loves his kids. I think you know your kids are fine. Yeah, because you were there. Your kids weren't, you know your kids weren't murdered. So during the OJ, during that show, uh, the cop is on the phone with him. He's like, Nicole has been killed or like murdered. Yeah. And, he, and then later, like a, two sentences later, OJ's like, wait, is she dead? Huh. And it's like, no, but no, I just told you she, she's murdered. Like, yeah. She's, she's dead. And then there's the whole thing with the kids afterwards. So I was yeah. like, I didn't know if that was verbatim. Cause I thought that I was really I feel weird. like with the show and we can look into it. Yeah. I feel like with the show, they were incredibly cautious to be as exact as possible. Okay. Yeah. What, what I really liked about, uh, that whole show was up until this telling of that story, Marsha Cross was never, and I think we've talked about this, Marsha Cross was never painted in a light where she was anything other than an incompetent uh, prosecutor. Mm-hmm. During the trial, like the, like there's really great interviews with her now uh, talking about how she couldn't at the time really speak to the gender imbalance the things that Judge Ito would say to her mm-hmm. and the things like not only the press and what mm-hmm. was going on outside of the case, but in the courtroom, yeah. the things that Ito allowed to be said and the way that he addressed her and spoke to her and that there was like, like you, you look at it now from a very like me too progressive female standpoint. Um, it was, she had that going against her. And any other story that's ever been told about that trial was the the faults that they had. And they never, she's never been painted in a light of what that side looked like or yeah. what Chris Darden went through. Yeah. And it was a very too, like they gave, I, I feel like it painted everybody in a, in a more accurate light than any of the tales I'd ever been told. It's a great show. Oh, I'm excited <laughs> for you to finish it. Couldn't recommend it more. And I can't wait for you to finish all that and then read about all the crazy shit he did when, like, for why he's in jail the last time. Yeah. I'm so excited. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram, at Killer Cocktails Podcast, or stop by our website, killercocktailspodcast.com, for up-to-date information, photos, contests, and more. 
Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at michellefirmdesign.com. Use coupon code KILLERCOCKTAILS, that's one word, for 15% off your entire order. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays. Ha, 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 ha.